0: have a little bit of a special treat for you tonight. I hope it's not going to be the norm. I'm going to teach a little bit on botany tonight, which is, well, you say that now you don't know what the context is. This could be bad. could be grapes of wrath, could be total grapes of wrath, winepress of God's wrath, could be valley of decision, multitudes and multitudes being stomped to mush or not. It could be something totally encouraging or somewhere in between, probably somewhere in between. I've only maybe taught two or three sermons, only one full sermon on botany since we started work on this book that we are getting close to finishing. It won't be ready by Christmas, and I don't even apologize. It just is what it is. It's big. It's over 700 pages now. It's going to be pushing. Where's Hannah? What do you think with index? 725 in world. 50? We'll say 750 when it's all said and done index, the indices and the glossaries will be probably 100 pages of it. So uh, probably a good 650 pages of content. So we're just, we're working on it, we're editing it, there's a lot you've got to get right and, and uh, uh, when the first run has to be 1,000 and we've got to drop 25 grand on that from the get-go, you just, you're going to get it right. right yeah, sir. You just have to get it right. So we're going to take our time. So it's been really fascinating to consider that this is all I really study seven days a week. i have not studying it so much anymore as we we're just editing, but hardly any sermons have come out of it. But I can tell we're in a season now of pruning. So it seems fitting to teach on pruning so that you'll be encouraged and not frightened when you hear the Holy Ghost snips come for you. So let's start off Actually, Josh, just fill up the big picture of the vineyard. Let's just leave the big picture of the vineyard up so we can be encouraged. Look at how beautiful that is. Now let's start off by saying this. That last picture I just sent, you have that ready. This is what a cordon-trained vineyard looks like. Beautiful, immaculate. We've maybe seen pictures of this. You can drive through Tennessee. There's a lot of vineyards now. That last picture, this is a wild vine. So let's just start off by saying... Grapes are considered an invasive species. They are destructive. They have to be trained, that's the term, and harnessed to be of any value, otherwise they will kill stuff, which sounds like Christians. They are aggressive in their growth. They have a very vigorous growth rate. They can grow over 100 feet very quickly, and they have this natural tendency to grow towards vertical structures I have had some talks with the, the head viticulturalist um, at um, Biltmore. He and I have corresponded. We've talked on the phone a few times, and he was teaching me a lot about maintaining the vineyards at Biltmore, but he said, I don't know what it is, and he has a degree, but he said, I don't know what it's called, but our vines, vines will grow towards telephone poles. Something about them they can sense, heights, and they want to grow towards it, which almost sounds like the pride of human nature, wanting to be exalted. And if vineyard, or if, if vitis vinifera is the Latin, the scientific term for the common grape, if vitis vinifera can see a tree, it will climb to that tree. It will overtake the tree, and it will kill the tree. It will bear grapes, barely. So, for a grapevine to be of any value, it has to be pruned regularly and trained. That's what it's called being trained. So, this, if Yens is Tennesseans, what does this look like to you? Kudzu, you can't even tell what it's supposed to be. And that's some Christians. You can't even tell what they're supposed to be because they're not trained. They're not pruned. They're not disciplined. They grow wild. And you're always growing. It just isn't always in Christ. And because of that, we have the promise of pruning. So go back to uh, the original picture there of the beautiful, manicured, heavily worked vineyard. So there is that picture. Just leave that up there. So go to John's Gospel. Let's start here because I want you all to be prepared for the Lord to deal with you in pruning in some capacity or another. John chapter 15. Should be a very familiar passage to all of us. John chapter 15 verse 1. I am the true vine. All right. That sounds really wonderful. But to the Jews, this was a giant, I don't want to say slap in their face. This was shocking to their ears. And the reason for that is ever since the psalmist, and specifically Isaiah, they had been taught that they were God's vine. And Jesus comes along and says, you guys aren't the vine, I am. It's a big cultural shift, big theological shift. Isaiah 5, which we might turn to in a minute, says, Behold my vineyard, my goodly vineyard. Behold the song of the the vinekeeper. And he goes on to talk about, I planted a goodly vine, and I took care of it, and I protected it, and that vine is Israel. There's a lot of uh, verses and passages in the Psalms and in the prophets and minor prophets that speak of Israel as the vine. She knew this was her identity. Like America, we're the eagle, right? That's our thing. Stars and stripes and the eagle. The vine is one of Israel's horticultural symbols. So they recognize it. So when Jesus comes along here and says, I am the true vine, that automatically made them false. So we miss that because we think, Oh, Jesus, the true vine, yes. Kudzu vine, blackberry vine, English ivy vine. They, they knew what he meant. And it was a big stretch for their ears. He said, My father is the husbandman. That is the vine, the owner, the, key, the keeper. He's the husbandman. Every branch in me. And that's where it redirects it because Israel had developed this pride. A lot of what Jesus Christ said, he was subverting the doctrine of the Jews so they would pay attention. A lot of his parables subvert their doctrine and undermine the Talmud because they thought one thing and he would come along and say something different. Matthew's gospel is the gospel to the Jews. He doesn't use the kingdom of God. He uses the term kingdom of heaven because they didn't have a heaven doctrine. They had a kingdom on earth doctrine. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, that's the term Matthew's gospel uses over and over again to make the Jews go, wait, what are you talking about? Because if you think you know everything, you're not going to listen to anything. But if we can come along and use different turns and turn the terms on your head, then you'll say, wait, okay, let's explain what you're talking about. And that gets you asking questions, which helps you. So Jesus tells his listener, all Jews, actually, these are the 11 disciples here. Judas has left this discussion. He tells his 11 disciples who are all Jews, I'm the true vine, and if you're not in me, you're no vine, even though they're Jews. Because the Lord has to prepare them to be a part of them. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, that is the husband. So he, he's saying, obviously we understand that if you're not bearing fruit, God takes you away. The theme of the Gospels from the beginning of John the Baptist's message to the very end is bear fruit, bear fruit bear fruit. John, the gospel's very first message was, behold, the axe is laid at the root, and any tree, tree that beareth not fruit, he hacketh down and burns. What a way to begin the Lord's ministry. That's the message. Not, let me tell you about a man that's going to love you and heal your babies. That wasn't got John's message. John's message was, Bring forth fruit that proves you're penitent. It's a harsh message, and they lined up on the banks of an ugly river to hear it and then to get in the water. It was not a seeker-friendly message. He wasn't blinking and smiling at the Pharisees, the centurions, or the Jews. He told them, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to hell, and here's your chance to restart. The message was so abrasive, they killed him for it. They didn't put him on television. He didn't get a book deal and have nine New York Times bestsellers. I was just speaking with a friend of mine before church. He's in another state. And I keep hearing this, and it bugs me. But I keep hearing... (laughs) I keep hearing this new gospel. We won't capitalize the G. We'll call it little g gospel. That we really need to preach the word. There's so many hurting people out there. So many hurting people out there. And truly, there are. But I hear it now among preachers and well-intended saints, almost as if to say, we need to become a convalescence home or maybe a children's hospital, handling people especially soft because they're hurting. My question in retort is, were they not hurting people in John's day? Woman with the issue of blood? Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had, Daughter had a devil. Were they not hurting people? That's first century Palestine, Roman oppression, Greeks and Gentiles and proselyte Jews. Life is cheap, crucifixion's regularly done, no health care, slavery's the name of the game, flavor of the millennia. Were they not hurting people there? Sure, there were. What's John's message? Bear fruit or you're going to hell. What was the Lord's message? Who has warned you to repent of the judgment to come? So I'm not sure where we think we need to change the message because they're hurting people. I guess the next question is, why are they hurting? Are they hurting because they're serving God? Or are they hurting because they're sinful? So then we must address their sin. I heard an expression from an old-timer. It's a quote from an old-timer at conference a few weeks ago. This old country preacher apparently said, before you can get them saved, you got to get them lost. That basically is preach the bad news first so they'll appreciate the good news. And I like that. All right, so if you hear people say, there's so many hurting folks, it might be fun for you to interject into the conversation, why are they hurting? Is it because they're serving Jesus or because they're pagans? And you're not going to make them feel better hugging them and lying to them. You need to look at them in the eyes and say, "You're hurting because you're a dirty human being. You're a sinner. You're a pervert. You fornicate. You're a drunk. You're a stoner. You're a meth head. You're destroying your own life. That's why you're hurting." I have good news, though. Have a beat you up enough? Yeah, yeah. I got good news. Jesus loves you. He died for you. But unless you repent, this is the best it gets for you. Now you might handle that a little bit more softer, one on one. And if you're in the jail ministry, don't talk to them that way because they will shank you. I did not say thank you. They will say, shank you, shank you very much. All right, so this is the message from the gospel get-go, bear fruit, It's it's a message in the epistles, bear fruit. We don't escape it because Christ went to heaven. Still the message of the day, bear fruit. So Jesus tells his 11, Judas is left to go betray the Lord. Every branch, that's us, that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. That is to prune, the word is to prune, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are pruned. The word clean in the King James is pruned. You're pruned through the word which I have spoken unto you. When we see the word clean, we think wash, but the word is not washed. The Word is the same word in the previous verse, to purge or to prune. So the Word of God is to prune us. It's called conviction. It's called correction. It's called doctrine. Doctrine, you ever used a cookie cutter? Sure, you roll the dough out, and doctrine is the cookie cutter that prunes away all the excessive stuff in your life. You have this template called the cross of Calvary, the gospel standard, and you've rolled your life a little too thin. The cookie cutter comes along and reminds you, this is your boundary. Come back home, O prodigal. Come back home, O sluggard. So the word of God goes forth. It prunes us, and in pruning it certainly does clean us. We're pruned through the word which Jesus Christ has spoken, and we know not all pruning is pleasant. Sometimes you grow real attached to that branch, but the Lord's looking at it saying it's not fruitful. Let's get rid of it. But it used to be fruitful. Yes, it used to be. But it's not anymore. So let's prune it. Part of pruning is is vine maintenance or it's tree maintenance. You prune trees. You prune plants. If you're growing tomato plants, you know to prune the leaves and branches so that they don't waste energy on unnecessary leaves or branches. And uh, you can produce increasing fruit and fruit yield by cutting away unnecessary growth. Every one of us, if we're aggressive, that isn't necessarily Cookful's weakness, aggression. Uh, when you're aggressive, you can waste energy on unnecessary growth. And you have to always temper that. You have to make sure you're not burning the candle at both ends. If you burn the candle at both ends, you won't have enough light to finish your race. You cut your candle in quarters and you burn them, you'll be nothing but a flash in the pan. So you got to temper yourself, pace yourself. If you need more light, ask God for more light, but don't cut candles in half. So things have to be pruned. He says in verse 4, "...abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me." I am the vine, and that's an insult to them. It's a hard stretch because they've been taught their whole life Israel is the vine. Israel is the vine. And the Lord comes along and makes this massive adjustment. He's God, so he can do that. And he says, I'm the vine. Israel is not the vine. If they remain in me, they can be a vine. I'm the vine. You are the branches. He changes Old Testament doctrine here. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, over and over again throughout the Gospels, the message is bear fruit or burn, bear fruit or burn. It's not a huggy message. It's just a gospel one, but there's so many hurting people. Will you lead with this message? John did, and Jesus called him the greatest prophet ever. If John lived with the message, I think it's a good message to lead with. Bear fruit or burn kind of abrasive, but it's the all honest to goodness truth. That was the voice preparing the way for Jesus. That was his first advent, his first coming. We should probably be a similar voice with his second advent or his second coming, especially to those who claim to be in the vine. All right, so now go to, um, you're in John, keep reading in chapter 15, uh, go to chapter 16. So let's talk about pruning, and then we're going to look at horticulture to understand some things here, or I should say viticulture. Horticulturalist plants in general. Viticulture is grapevines in particular. I'd much rather teach like this. The last couple services have been like exhausting on me. You guys must have been backslidden when I went out of town or something. Come back, preach that hard. I'd much rather be like this. So in all of our lives, there are things that grow and the Lord will tolerate their growth. But there comes a time where he says, that's enough. It can be any hobby you kind of get permission from God to run with. And before long, if you're not careful, it begins to consume you. That's just the human nature. We won't even call it sin. just human nature. You start to watch a, a sport, and before long, you've watched 15 games in two weekends. And the Lord says, that's enough. Don't forget about me, God says. Let's prune that a little bit. Nothing wrong with some football. We're about to hit football season. And for me, that's football and hockey season, and that's good. But if I'm not careful, I can watch some LSU on Saturday and some Titans on Sunday and catch some hockey three days a week. And the Lord will say, all right, that's probably enough. Not with five games a week, but maybe one or two. That's something that starts off okay, but the Lord has to prune it. We understand that. You might start to watch a clean TV show. and Before long, you've been watched five episodes. And the Lord has to say, remember your prayer time? I don't even want to get to heaven. The Lord show us how much time we watched on Time we spent on video games or TV, and how little time we spend in prayer. Because the truth be told, if we spent equal amount of time in prayer as we do in entertainment, all of our lives would be very different, mine included. So we have to keep this thing in a balance. And truth be told, it will always be unbalanced in favor of carnality, not sinfulness, just carnality. So that's something that can grow. For for a ministry, we can start to grow too far one direction or the other, and the Lord prunes it back and he says all right i don't want you to do this anymore every ministry has to go through seasons of pruning uh, a couple of years ago we were on this meteoric trajectory with our vbs movies where we were increasing our cgi animation and really the next step was going to be one where we animated the characters and not just all the physics based environments and they began to play around with that software and Really, the next step was to build an in house render farm, which we had plans to do, and to take it to the next level. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if we're going to shoot for the stars, let's be the next big idea or the next Pixar. And then COVID hit, and the Lord pruned it, and we've not even looked back at movies in three years now, and I'm okay with it. Even with the botany book, I'm I'm convinced, because other folks have said, what are you going to do after this? You're going to do one on all the rocks and minerals of the Bible? And I said, no, 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 no. Why would I want to do that? There isn't anything really there because the names are all lost in antiquity. Even the term diamond is not a biblical term. They didn't understand diamonds back then. Quartz is probably more like it. Somebody else has already done the work. But so people who love me and other ministers, they look at what we've done so far and they think there should be something else beyond that. But I can already tell this will be the high water mark. It'll be hard to beat this 750 page botany book or 725 or whatever. This will be the high water mark and from here we grow laterally to do other things. You've got to be able to recognize what needs to be pruned and in what season. At some point, you know, you begin to have children and you get into, some people can get into a role of having kids, like the kitchens, they kind of like, that just kind of unrolls before them. And at some point you're like, hmm, I think we should stop this. And things get pruned, don't they? Yes, they do. (laughs) And you say, hallelujah. That is a full quiver. When you have eight children, well, they said in the 70s, eight is enough, right? You can tell the church has gotten younger. Three chuckles on that one. There was a TV show in the 70s called Eight is Enough. I think it was the cry of suicide every night from mom and dad. Eight is enough, oh Lord. Oh, eight is enough. I was too young to remember it, but I do remember it. I never watched it. I had other things to watch. You've got to be able to figure out what needs to be pruned. And just because you can get away with it today doesn't mean you'll be able to get away with it tomorrow. And God has every right to all of a sudden just wake you up and say, stop it. Yeah. And you think, well, Lord, you were blessing it last year. Yes, but I'm not blessing it now. Stop it. And it won't even have to be aggressive. If you walk with God long enough, you'll begin to recognize these seasons. You'll even begin to say, all right, this thing's coming to an end. I can feel it. It's time to stop, it. we can't do this anymore. Everything has a time and a season. You need to trust the Lord when he begins to snip things and clip things and prune things back. Here in John chapter 16, let me give you an encouraging verse. Verse 12, Jesus Christ said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. That is a truth right now. It will be a truth 20 years from now. When he has said 20 years of things to us, he couldn't say to us tonight. This will always be a truth until we see him face to face. I got lots of things I want to talk to you about, but you can't hear it yet. Which means, in one regard, he's winking at a lot of stuff in our life. But we'll get to a place where he can address it and adjust it. shouldn't shock us with one day he wants to tell us something. And we didn't know it even offended the Lord that's just how it goes be encouraged or maybe discouraged but right now every one of us has something in our life that offends the Lord and he winks at it he's not even moved by it it offends him but you don't need to address it yet and please don't go hunt for it but tomorrow he may talk to you or even in this sermon tonight he may address it and say that right there yes son yes Lord I want you to stop it sir I want you to stop it no more okay it's time to leave that behind Okay, sometimes it's the death of a dream, sometimes it's the death of a hobby, sometimes it's the way you think, sometimes it's the way you speak, sometimes it's the way you address people, sometimes it may be a sin that you didn't know was a sin or a hobby that has become sinful. Either way, he's the vine, we're the branch, it's time to stop it. Then the, perhaps the most confusion as, confusing aspect of this concept is when something has been fruitful up until now And we say, Well, Lord, why would you have us stop making these CGI movies? They're getting bigger and bigger every year. We're getting so much better. I mean, people are impressed with our animation. Why stop? Well, because we're expending growth in that direction and energy and time and money that the Lord doesn't want us to. So we redirect it over here. Sometimes we don't have the answer, we just have to trust God. Ultimately, if you'll remember, He's the master and we're the servant, we don't need answers. Now, I like answers, I'm scientific, I like to know the mechanics and the why, but there comes a time of maturity where you don't need to know the why, you just obey. And maybe he gives you the why along the way, or maybe he doesn't. Children, especially four-year-old boys, need why, but why, but why, but why, but why? Son, just please be quiet and go obey me, but, yes, daddy. We taught Bud Bud a couple months ago, don't ask why. Say, yes, sir. Okay. Did I ask you why? And so that still works in my house. It's not working, but it's how he works it. And he said, son, go do this. Yes, sir. Why? Or then he say, now I ask why? Yes, you can ask why. Because I want you to, because you need to stop it. But why? Son, you're about to see what anger is. But why? That's a four-year-old. We chuckle at it because it's, it's the precociousness of a four-year-old. If we're 44, and we have to have an explanation from God for everything, you know the Lord just sits there and says, "Ah." Remember Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God? Well, yeah, you're doing that right now. You're frustrating the grace of God. (laughs) If Paul said you can do it, you can do it. At some point, you just say, yes, Lord. The Lord shut down things on me, both as a husband, a father, a pastor, he shut down my geology career. He, I wanted to work a full year. I, I got a full year in at the zinc mine, but I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I could do this for the next five years. Lord, this is my dream job, but whatever you want. And when he spoke to me to resign the zinc mine after only one year, I didn't ask why. I wanted to, because I wanted to say, Lord, why can't I do this? I think I can manage a church and the zinc mine. I got my heart and mind wrapped around the zinc mine. That's easy now. The church I can still grow into. It'll give me a challenge but he said, walk away from it. The zinc mine was a very fruitful career, but he pruned it and it was time to grow this direction. Don't think you have to have an explanation for everything. Sometimes we have to simply say, yes, Lord, here am I, I'll obey. Now I would almost guarantee you, maybe I can't give you a hundred percent guarantee. If you'll stick with God, you'll be able to grow and figure out the why. Why did that dry up? Why did that dream wither? Why did that dream never come to pass? Why? You may not see it today, but that's faith. If you could have every answer today, you wouldn't need faith. He's the husbandman, the master viticulturalist. He has a right to come and prune anything in our lives. He wants to. He has many things to say unto us, but we can't bear them now. We may not be able to hear it. Like I've told you my story about the Japanese sword fighting, uh, Iaido and Iaijitsu. And I didn't get into Kendo or Kenjutsu, but iaido. and when the Lord told me to walk away from it, why? Why? But why? It's the death of a dream. And he finally, in his mercy, answered the four-year-old who was 32 at the time and said, because if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. All right. Well, does that mean? What does that mean? I didn't go that route. What does that mean? If I carry a sword, somebody's going to kill me with the sword. They're going to steal my sword and kill me with the sword. What does that mean? I might accidentally impale myself while I'm fighting and training in sword fighting. What is that? He spoke it. Yes, sir haven't looked back, don't even care. I've told you, though, that to this day, if I pick up, I still have one Japanese sword left in my home. It's a replica from a movie. If I take that sword and I hold it and move my foot forward and set my heart on it, I grieve the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I, even doing that bugs me a little bit, even though it's a water bottle. I just know it's way off limits for Chris McMichael. So we say, all right, cool. I'm going to bear fruit over here, all the way over here. Because when the Lord tells you, you'll die by the sword... That doesn't sound like a good way to go. He says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. And some of those things he'll speak. Remember he said, the words I speak unto you, they prune you. You are pruned by the words I have spoken. Chapter 15. You are pruned by the words I've spoken. I have yet many things to prune, but you can't bear it yet. So don't be upset when he cuts things out of your life. It could be a career I tried to go and get my master's degree. The Lord stopped that. I tried to pursue this career and that career. It didn't work. He, He was gracious to cut those things off. You and I are servants to the Most High God. We're his bonsai tree. He shapes us, forms us, and prunes us to his delight. We don't control this thing. And you keep your destiny and your dreams very loosely in the palm of your hand. And the Lord says, let it go. Then you set it down, let it go. And now he says, now walk away from it. You walk away from it. And that's pruning. He says, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He's now the one speaking, no longer the Lord Jesus in the earth. Jesus told the 11 in chapter 15, you have been pruned by the words I have spoken unto you. But here he says, same sermon, same discipleship sermon around the dinner table. There's coming the Holy Spirit. He will speak just like me, and his speaking is going to continue to prune your life. That's the day we live in, and we should rejoice over it and be excited about it. He will hear from me. And that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. So the first speaking might be pruning and the second speaking might be the fruit of it or why he's asked you to do what he's asked you to do. You don't have to submit to the pruning, by the way. You can keep doing it if you want to and waste energy that goes nowhere. Now, I'm all for optimism, the American spirit, the indomitable human spirit where you just don't give up. But in the things of the kingdom, you've got to be able to take inventory and and ask yourself, is this even God? I'm putting so much time and energy into it, and it goes nowhere. And it might be a dream, or it might be a pursuit, it might be a relationship. You keep dumping all this time and effort into it, but it's going nowhere. I can tell you that even as a pastor, there's a point where I have to say, I'm done with people. Now, that doesn't mean God's done with them, but this guy is. Same with if you're a boss, there's a point where you say, look, I've done all I can with this employee. Sometimes as a teacher, you look at the, I'm all I've done. I've done all I can with this student. Sometimes doctors say the same thing. Doctors give up. Lawyers recuse themselves from clients. They say, I can't help this person. You need to be prepared uh, to walk away from some relationships and prune them. I sometimes have to walk away and prune efforts on people and say, this thing isn't fruitful anymore. You've got to be able to look at any of your endeavors and say, is there a red line that if I spend this much money, this much time and I get no return, I just walk away. I prune it. I think you have to do that. Whether that's a business endeavor, most uh, venture capitalists, they have a red line they won't cross or they shut down their business. I had, I've had a lot of business owner friends in town. And I see their businesses pop up and I see them shut down. They shut down because at some point they were losing money without any hope of ever making any. We have to be shrewd like that in our relationships. I have to be shrewd like that with a, as a pastor. You have to be shrewd like that as a teacher. At what point are they sucking the life out of you and you're, you're not bearing any fruit for Jesus? So there's a lot of things that can be pruned. The Lord Jesus is not speaking to us today in the flesh. He's speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. We know he'll do it through the Word. We've all read Scripture where the Lord convicts us and the Holy Spirit speaks a word in it. we always say it, it cuts It prunes. And you know at some point I've got to walk away from that. I can't do that anymore. I'm done with that sport. I'm done with that T V show. I can't finish that book. I can't pursue that friendship anymore. I gotta drop that attitude. Oh God help me with that, that voice in my head or it's pruning. As a church, we're kind of into that season right now. I'm kind of making my way through a lot of the departments, and I'm pruning some stuff, and I'm dialing some things back, and things have grown. It's how it is. Things grow, and sometimes after they grow, they've got to be pruned back to a healthy state. We're about to enter into dormant season and everybody rejoices because you don't have to cut your grass or do anything in your garden because it's all just chill and it gives you a couple months to relax. But once springtime hits, you don't get reprieve. you got to cut your grass. you got to weed the garden. you got to cut back shrubberies and hedges and bushes, etc. Because it's all growing. That's good. Life is good, but it takes management. So let's look at some slides here. Let's give you some viticulture. Throw me that first picture up. Let's see what I can do here. That's my best service. All right. Go back. This is the vineyard Leaved Out, which is what it's called. And I don't see any grapes there. Now, I'm not a master at this, but I have done a lot of research in the last almost 20 months. So I'm pretty fluent in it, but don't go nitpicking me. Don't go grape picking me either. Just like a fun joke. Next, Next slide. So this is a cordon-trained vine. So this is it in dormant season. Actually, this is after being pruned. Uh, This is a bilateral cordon train. You can see the trunk coming up and where it splits and goes either direction, that's called the crown. And then you have the cordons, that's the thick trunks, so the thick branches going left and right. And then it's called bilateral because you have two lines, one that the cordon or the lateral vine is attached to, and then a second one above it. So these little nubs sticking up are called renewal spurs. All right? And as you can see, this is not the kudzu look-alike. And actually this picture shows you that this whole vine only grows from here, that is far left, to just probably a little bit over here off picture. So this whole thing might only be six feet long. You can see how thick the trunk is. Looks like it might be six or eight inches in diameter. All of its energy, because it has been trained, and by trained we mean annually pruned, pruning is training, because it has been pruned and trained its entire life, all of its energy has been focused on its trunk, its cordons, and its renewal spurs. All right, That's called pruning and training. There's a lot of ways to do it, but this is kind of the simplest and visual to observe. Go to the next slide. Let's see what we got. All right, so this is a younger, these are younger um, vineyard. You can see it's not as thick. This guy's a lot smaller, so this, they got this guy five feet off the ground. It still looks a little bit like a bilateral, but there's a different term for it because of the way the trellis is running, and this is the beginning of season. You're still running the same kind of concept where it's splitting left and right. And what's the next picture, Josh? Okay, there's a good one. So this is cordon, and you can see from these renewal spurs, you have these shoots that have taken off. At every renewal spur, Here, so you can see this guy terminates here. So this is, here's the crown curving down. So this guy only has one, two, three, four renewal spurs, and it'll have two shoots that take off. Each shoot will bear two clusters of grapes. So at each renewal spur, you'll get four clusters of grapes. This is really good when you need to do your math to know what your harvest is gonna be. If I have this many trunks, I have this many spurs, I have this many uh, shoots, I get this many clusters of grapes, you can do the math way in advance, and this is how you calculate vintage. It's mathematically precise, assuming everything's accurate. So go back two slides. That's what it looks like before springtime, and actually before peak season. So these, again, these little nubs sticking up that are about four or five inches long, those are the renewal spurs. Go forward two slides. And from each of those renewal spurs come two shoots. And those shoots bear fruit. Those are the branches Jesus Christ addresses in John 15 when he says, Every branch in me that bears not fruit he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Now why would you prune a perfectly good branch. Because what will happen is at the end of this year, these shoots will be pruned and cut back down to the exact same place. And even though it looks this beautiful come August, September, go back two slides, Josh. It's going to look like that again in March. Why do that? Those guys prove we got the goods. We can produce beautiful, massive clusters. Well, the reason is those shoots after they produce fruit lignify, that means they become woody, and they will never produce fruit ever again. That's why you have to cut them back every year. The part of the plant called a shoot will bear fruit once. That's it. That's why it's pruned. That kind of encourages us, and that's the whole viticultural allegory the Lord is leaning on here. Everything in our life that bears fruit, we evaluate for what to do with it next. You can't rest on last year's vintage. You can't rest on last year's success. Just because that sermon preached good a year ago doesn't mean it's going to preach good today. I got to address it. Just because it worked good parenting my nine-year-old doesn't mean it's going to work good parenting for my next child who happens to be a girl also or a boy also. Everything has to be judged and be prepared to be pruned. What's our next picture, Josh? After Okay, there's the end of the season. What what do we have after that? A diagram? All right, so you kind of see pruning a low head bilateral cordon system. Spurs, cordons, catch wire, shoots. Anyway, it kind of gives you an idea. These things have to be pruned because they'll never bear fruit again. They'll lignify, and once they lignify from those, shoots will grow off. But now you have just disseminated and watered down your root system. So go back to the original. Let's go back to the beautiful one with all the green grapes. No, 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 no. Uh, The one with the healthy there. If you can imagine now, these shoots, when they lignify, they're called canes. From the canes, new shoots will come off. Well, yeah, you'll have more clusters, but they won't be as big. They won't be as sweet. And if you don't trim those, you keep dividing your resources. If you can keep things pruned like they have because they know what they're doing, you get bigger and better vintage every year. The grapes get bigger. They get sweeter, assuming all things are proper with the harvest and rain because it's very light and rain-dependent and sensitive. This is why we prune our, th- our, our lives, because we only have so much resource. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. When someone burns the candle at both ends, they don't prune stuff. So they end up, go back to the, the kudzu, they end up looking like kudzu, which is really, that's, that's vitis vinifera. That's the grapevine we just saw, but not disciplined, not trained, not pruned. There won't be any grapes to be found here. Only on the new growth, which will be at the very end, probably high in the tree, and the grapes will be so small they won't be worth eating, and you can't get them to anyway. You'd have to wait till it kills the tree. This is the perfect allegory for the believer because your life will keep growing until you or God or the police say stop. Your life will continue to gobble up this and gobble up that. Our job is to check in with the Lord to see what he would have us to do. A wise person knows what their resources are and how to allocate it. When you parent, you have to prune sports. You have to prune Outings and prune family events. A budget helps you prune activities. Time budget helps you prune activities. The more kids you have, the less you get to do in life. It's part of it. But at the end of life, when you're older, you have more kids coming back to you and more grandkids and great-grandkids. There's an exchange somewhere. You've got to figure out where you want to pay the piper. Your life only has so much time, so much money, so much resource, so much faith. You've got to figure out how to allocate it. There's no reason why they couldn't go back to the the beautiful one we were looking at, Josh, with the grapes. There's no reason why they couldn't cut it down to two, but I think they're kind of, sometimes I've seen them go four, five, six, and I don't know the reason behind it. You can grow so far, but you've got to be prepared to have a loss somewhere. Those roots can only take up so much nutrients. There is a balance. They also call it vine balance. Um, where you have to have so many leaves because leaves shield the fruit. The fruit has to have leaves on it, but you also need enough leaves to keep the sun from burning it, but not so little leaves that you don't get the photosynthesis, but not too many leaves to detract from the growth of the fruit. It's all pruning and managed to the nth degree to make sure you have perfect grapes. You can't leave it alone. It will not take care of itself. The vine has to have human interaction to be fruitful. That's the body of Christ. It's not like a wild cucumber. It's not like wild tomatoes. This thing is like sheep. Without a shepherd or a vine dresser, it becomes destructive. Sheep without a shepherd are destroyed. This thing without a vine dresser is destructive itself. The vine has to have care almost year round, even in the off season. Come February, March, they start pruning. Then they grind it up. They put it back as compost into the ground around it, and they begin to prepare for the next year. There's a lot to it. So the question becomes what needs to be pruned in your life? What is growing wild? What is growing out of control? You cannot be afraid to have friendships pruned, responsibilities pruned. Even a boss might look at you and see you, he promoted you, but you're failing. He he demotes you because you have overspent your time and effort. He spreads you too thin. So he prunes you back put you back into a safer box. We can't be offended at this. I remember a couple years ago, Dr. Barclay, I had failed at something in the ministry. He said, son, don't feel about it. Feel bad about it. We all fail. He said, I once promoted a family to being pastors. They failed miserably and it was my fault. I said, sir. He said, they weren't ready for it. I don't know how I missed it. I put them over a church. The church went down. And he said, I had to pull them aside. I said, forgive me. I thought you guys were ready, but you weren't. This isn't your fault. So what he did is he pruned them brought them back so that the church could have a better pastor because they weren't cut out for it. That's pruning. As as a missionary pastor, we've had to prune our outings. Dr. Barclay's gotten onto me for my aggression with missionary work. He's always said, son, you can't neglect home base. You can't neglect home base. You can't neglect home base. Sometimes you're zealous and you want to grow, 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 grow. Look at all these renewal spurs. You don't have the energy to support but three of them. So when the shoots come up and the grapes come out, they're like, phew. They look like little squiggle eyes, and they almost turn instant raisins. And you were so zealous. Look at all of our shoots. Yeah, but you don't have the root depth to support them. Look at a, uh, this is a fun verse. Look at uh, Psalm 128. I wrote this down. I, you'll appreciate this more now knowing. This verse is for you Husbands. This is gonna require work out of you husbands. So just prepare yourselves. Now what's the positive thing I say about our women, our wives, they're, what are they? What's that? Fine china, Swiss army knife, Holy Ghost octopus. Just go, 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 got an arm, they got a Swiss army knife in every hand. You can do everything, that's, that's a woman. Psalm 128, verse 1 Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. That's using the aggressive, vigorous growth of a vine to describe a woman. Aggressive. Just wants to grow, 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 grow. I can do it. And. She can, but she'll spread herself too thin. Every woman has done it. But the implication here, she's on the sides of your house. Vines will grow on the side of a house. It's not around the house because vines need sunlight, so it'll always be the side that has the most direct sunlight. But the implication here is also, you can't afford to let that vine destroy your house. If he's an Israelite, he understands viticulture because it was their common hobby. It's how they lived. He understands the implication. I have to keep her pruned. If I don't, she'll take over everything because it's in her nature to do so. And that's not a bad thing, but I need to allocate her resources to the fruitful things that I, as the husband and overseer, see that we need. Because if I don't, she'll be over the top. The birds will get what little grapes are up there. She'll be around the side. She'll wither. That'll be wasted energy, because it'll grow so long, then it won't get the sunlight. The grapes will will sour. And so I got to keep her, honey, this is your right here. This is where I need you. And just grow, baby, grow. So if husbands are doing their job, their wives won't be spread thin at their wits end. It also kind of speaks that women, I don't say any of this to be misogynistic. It's human nature. Women don't often know how to regulate. I'm talking about, there are lazy women. We're not talking about those. But women who are driven, who love their home, they love their family, they have a career, they will expend unnecessary energy and they will hurt themselves. They will head for a a, a health issue, a medical issue, a mental break. So a husband has to come along and say, honey, relax. A good husband will snap his fingers and say, kids, take care of what your mom is doing. She needs a rest. A better husband will say, and let me help you while I'm at it, (laughs) (laughs) honey, sit down. Why are you working? Well, because it needs to be done. That's that aggressive vine. But it also means the husband is able to regulate and say, look, we we can't spread ourselves anything. We just can't do it right now. I know we want to, it's not in the scope. If we put it in the scope, something's going to give and it can't be your health can't be my health, can't be the kids' health, can't be money. So it has to be something else. You're always, if you're a good husband and a good leader and a good homemaker and a good governess, you're always looking at what needs to be pruned because you only have so much resource and resources, time, health, daylight, money, faith, maturity. Don't try to finish your race in the first year. You're not meant to. So it says, your wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. That's where she wants to grow. It's around your house, but she can only cover at most two sides because that's where the sunlight's hitting. Sun doesn't hit four sides of a house. At best, two, if the corner of the house is pointing to the south. And even then, it will have a tendency to want to wrap around and you'll have to prune it. So. I love it because it equates our wives to the fruitful vine, aggressive growth, but they need the oversight of a husband to help them temper what they want to do. And maybe some of your husbands can agree your wife would do absolutely everything, and she could do it all well for a fraction of a season. Then it would all just come tumbling down because she is not capable. She shouldn't be. Focus on the few things that are necessary at hand. Don't be the Martha, Martha, burning the candle at every end, cutting the candle in the middle, then cutting it again, and having a little seance and a flash in the pan. Um, where'd the light go? You burned it, sweetie. That was a 24-hour emergency candle. You burned it in 30 minutes. Why? You cut it up. It says your children like olive plants around and about the table. That is, olive shoots, olives uh, pr- uh, reproduce, through shooting. They have shoots that come up. I love it because it's kids around your table. That's where they live. They climb. They, Bud Bud does not know how to eat sitting in a chair. He has to have like expeditions in between bites They usually involve my lap, mama's lap under the tables. He's, he's in underwear stage right now. He just spends his whole day in his underwear which is actually fun. It's kind of fun. It's cute. Legos in his underwear, dinner in his underwear. Some days, if we don't go anywhere, he's just in his underwear all day long. Just wipe crumbs off him, put him back in bed, start again tomorrow. So summertime, you know. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> They're shoots, that's how trees replicate, olive, olive shoots. Uh, they, they replicate by shoots, you take those, dig them, plant them and you can have a new olive tree. But that's how children should be, around our table, under our feet, growing up to be just like us. Actually you want to grow with olive trees, you want to grow them off the shoots and not the olive pit because you don't get as good a tree afterward. It's better to take it because you know the genetic compost, the composition, you don't have to worry about cross-pollination. So it's always better to take it from the shoot, which your children should be just like you anyway. And hopefully that's a good thing if they are. They'll always take part of you with them. Which part did they take? Because if they take and fail, they took that from you. Your insecurity, your lust, your shame, your timidity. I don't know. The more kids you have, the more chance you have, they'll take something better from you. Or you can just fix you and give nothing but good. Amen. We've been covering that in Sunday school. Hasn't been easy on some people. But here, how about you not be so selfish and shame-filled, and you let me worry about the young generation that you claim you don't want to follow in your footsteps? Amen. i got another generation to think about. Go back to our, our, our thick one here. Go back to the one that's been cut down totally, and we just see the trunk of it. So talking, actually his name is Mr. Oglesby at, at Biltmore, I, I said, I see some of these pictures where these, these vines get so thick. Do you guys just keep them forever? He said, no, no, no. actually we, we, we cut them down after 30 or 40 years. They live out their usefulness. They, they begin to break down. They, they do rise for 30, 40 years and then after about that, he said, with the species of vitis vinifera that we use, we have to cut them down and plant new ones. And we're constantly cycling our old vineyard with new vineyard. That's like our life. At some point, we're done. We only get so many years. It's appointed a man wants to die. Whether you believe in the 80 years doctrine or 120 years, I don't know anybody would be dumb enough to want to see 120 years on this planet. Some folks claim it. They come out of the old faith camp. I haven't seen a single faith camp person live to be 120 yet. So maybe that's something different back in Genesis 6. So let's say 80, 85 years. Either way, you only get so many years to bear fruit. And the quicker you can learn to be pruned and shaped, the quicker you can produce a great vintage for God and leave a great legacy. But there comes a time when our life is done and we are cut down and thrown on the compost heap of life. You can actually do that in California. You can recycle your loved one's body and you know they want to hug a tree in a new way. Yes, you can compost a loved one and I guess make a garden out of them. Google it if you doubt. Why, why would I make that up? You can compost human beings now. I don't know if it's one of those wheelie bins that you know gunk <laughs> <laughs> gunk <laughs> 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 did a banana peel just fall out or was that an arm? <laughs> No, you can. They do have a composting service in California. So I don't mean to literally say the compost heap of life, but yes, I guess it does. <laughs> Those states that hug trees and have diesel-generated electric cars, you know, they uh, they compost human beings because they got to hug the planet somehow. At some point, we're done. And the question is, if we all go back to the the kudzu, we all have that potential. Or go back to the green ones the really close up of the nice green grapes on the cordon. Or we have that potential. It's in all of us. But our fruitfulness is dependent on how well we submit to the word spoken that will prune us every time. Don't get offended when the Lord says, cut it off, stop here. This is where I want your branch to stop. And from here we go up. I was talking with a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine this week he had uh, toured a few churches just to see what God's doing. And I'm, I'm going to have to ask him this question this week when I talk to him again because I was just taking in everything he said. And he said, uh, I toured a lot of churches. A lot of them have the multi-campus pattern. He said, I, don't, I, I, can, I can tell you now I don't believe in that. Not going to do it. He said, um, they complain about the quality of their people at a multi-campus site where you pipe in the pastor. He said, uh, what seems to work for the other churches is that they send churches out, they launch churches with a pastor over it. He said, two churches I met with, they have a a hybrid pattern where they have a, a campus pastor who preaches two Sundays out of the month, a third Sunday out of the month, they pipe in headquarters, and a fourth Sunday out of the month, the campus, the headquarter pastor drops by unannounced. So they kind of do a hybrid, and they're experimenting with it. He said, but they complain that their numbers have dipped because of the instability of it. He said, so I'm just, I'm just going to church plant. That just works for me. And I said, and it sounds biblical. Send out a pastor with the team. Let them, yeah. But in all that discussion, the question then hit me after we were done, and I didn't get a chance to ask him. Okay, but well what about discipleship? Because what this sounds like to me is, let's grow horizontally as far as we can, but what about fruit? At some point, you've got to start even pruning a church because you're expending assets and resources, but you're not producing fruit in the people. So this even fits the pattern of the local church. At some point, your vine is too big and you don't have the resources to disciple anymore. At some point, you're wasting resources to look good from the sky, but from the ground, there's nothing under those leaves. So this even fits that pattern. So folks have asked me for years, what are you going to do when you outgrow this building? And I said, I'm not going to. I'm going to preach hard and thin the herd. So then after a few years, I changed I said, well, I'll start other churches because to me, that's pruning, keeping this church deep and strong and taking deep, strong people and sending them off to another place to sow them there, to start a vineyard there that can be deep and strong, not thin and wide and weak. So no matter how you shake it out, it's going to come back to this. Your life only has so much resource. Your family, your marriage, your walk with Christ only has so much resource. So you've got to be a wise steward. The Lord will help you. Leadership can help you. Uh, When I was uh, right before COVID hit, a year before COVID, I, uh, I had a year where I was about to do four or five mission trips. It would have been my third or fourth year in a row doing four or five mission trips. And the Lord began to deal with me gently about dialing that back. And I ended up canceling every trip one year. And I was talking to Pastor Kerry Gordon out west. And he said, what do you got coming up? I said, well, I had a bunch of mission trips, but I've just canceled a, a five nation trip to Europe. I was going to go Albania, Germany. I was, I, we actually, we were planning on helicoptering me, or taking a train. What were we doing, Hannah? We were working on a helicopter. Monaco. Monaco. We were going to go from Paris. We we're going to take a train to Paris and take a helicopter down to Monaco to see Mr. Killian, who is the Bible timeline expert, who's a friend of ours. He's in his 80s. I want to see him before he dies. And then we we're going to fly out of Rome. So it was like really cool. It felt like a James Bond, <laughs> Cary Grant film from the 60s. I was like, this is really cool. It had it all set up and then had Africa planned and a bunch of stuff, and I ended up, it all got canceled. It all, and so I told Pastor Kerry, and he said, praise God. And I said, why? What, what? He said, I was just telling Molly, that's his wife, Pastor Chris is gonna have to slow down. He's gonna hurt himself. He's got that new boy. That church is growing. He's zealous for missions. He's gonna hurt himself. That's him saying that he needs to prune something. And I said, why don't you call me? I figured you'd get it eventually. Yeah, but we're friends, call me. He said, no, you're telling me now, so my prayers worked. Pastor Barclay told me the same thing. I was picking up on it, but I was really zealous to grow a little bit further and have some mission fruit, man. Let's play Cary Grant on a train in a Hitchcock film or something. Hop <laughs> a train. Let's say I took a train from Germany to Paris in a helicopter, which it, you like, it's like an airplane. You book a seat on a helicopter and hop down to Monaco or catch the train from Stuttgart into Monaco because Mr. Killian lives at the. Railway station in Monaco, a couple stories up. I don't know. He explained it to me. Didn't happen. Sounds cool. Looks, sounds better now because it could have killed me then. But you got to figure out what you need to prune and prune it. Otherwise, you're going to spread yourself too thin and hurt your life, hurt your church, hurt your ministry. And the other thing is, if you have people under you and you're in some kind of leadership position and they keep failing, it's probably because they're spread too thin and they don't have the depth of root yet to support that kind of horizontal growth. So you, what you have to do, whether it's with your kids or employees or even church family, you prune back responsibilities so they can get more depth. If you want to know why maybe the Lord hasn't promoted you, it may be a lack of depth. That's not an insult. It's just truth. When you've got great depth, you can go greater, farther, horizontally and put up your shoots to produce better grapes every year. Amen? All right, you got it? So does pruning sound so bad now? No. No, even, but even as Hebrews says, no correction, no, no rebuke for the present seemeth pleasant but grievous, but afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. So I say that to say, I, I perceive, especially coming back from Pastor Kerry's conference, we're in a pruning season. We just got to cut a few things. It doesn't mean we're digging you up and throwing you on the, on the bonfire of the vineyard. No, just, this isn't bearing fruit. Let's stop it. This is growing too far. Crop it and submit to it. Do it in your own life. Do it in your family. Be able to look at your streaming services and say, this is wasting too much money. Prune it. I got too many responsibilities, too many hobbies. Prune something and focus on what's necessary. The Lord told Martha, you are busy about a lot of stuff and your sister has chosen the better portion and it will not be taken from her. Figure out what's important. Husbands, rise up. Figure out what you need to do to streamline your family. And don't just be the chopping block. Be the helper that gets out there and prunes things as well. Okay? Yes, sir. How many, As we talk tonight, the Lord's talking about stuff to prune. Just raise your hand. Oh, awesome. Praise God. That's what we want. This is not a rebuking service. I, I like it when we can have these kind of services. They make me look like a nice guy. They make me look kind of smart, too. I'm not just some, he's always angry. I'm not angry. You're just backslidden. I'm pretty chill most of the time, unless my kids are doing something dumb. Then I'm not. But then sometimes I come to church, and it feels like I just went home. I'm home again, except these, these are grown-ups doing dumb stuff. Stop it. All right, have you been helped tonight? Yes, sir. Let's review this real quick. Vitis vinifera, the common grape, it is an invasive species. It is destructive unless it's trained. It cannot be of any value unless it has human interaction annually, regularly. It is destructive and it will be fruitless. It will destroy other trees, other plants. It will destroy homes, telephone poles if it is not trained. It is only of value when it's in a regimented row where it can be cared for season after season. That is our allegory. We abide in Jesus. He prunes us when we're fruitless. Things have to be pruned. Everything in our life has to be pruned. Everything. Even if you run a marathon, you can't run a marathon the next week. You got to prune that activity and recover. Once you have a baby, even your body cannot have another baby They say not for at least six weeks. And honestly, if you turn on and get pregnant within two or three months, it's not good for you. You have to prune that for a season, and then your womb bears fruit again. We get that. All of life works on the same principles. Be careful not to spread yourself too thin. You will ruin yourself. And then pruning will become even more painful. That kind of vineyard vine, that one there, it knows where it's going to get cut every year. It's predictable. Here we go. Cut me. Every year I just get thicker and bigger, and my fruit gets better and better. And once I'm done, I go up to heaven. That ought to be us.